Good morning to you. I really like that hymn. That was nice. Yeah, that nice. It almost gives you that worshipful feel, doesn't it? And to, to sing more often of how holy God's name is. That really is important to us. You know, I don't know that we talk enough about the third commandment, but, you know, to, to reverence God, to reverence his name is very important to us. Let us pray. Our Father, we thank you for our opportunity to open up your word. And so we ask that we might open up our mind, that the seeds of truth from your word might be planted in our hearts, our minds, and bear a wonderful fruit, a wonderful harvest to the glory of your name, for you are worthy. And so, Father, we leave this, continue to leave this service in your hands, asking that you be uplifted and honored, for you're worthy of our worship. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, a few couple Sabbaths ago, I started something on mental health. We talked about how it was important to us to glorify God that we keep all of his laws, which we have physical laws. It'd be the eight laws of health. Uh, we have uh, the moral law, spiritual laws. That would be the Ten Commandments. But there are, we don't have a list yet, but there are laws that govern the mind. And I want to kind of continue on that this morning and probably finish up again in the next sermon after this. But uh, if we look at just verse 2 again in Romans chapter 2, chapter 12, verse 2, uh, this becomes essential for us. You know, in Sabbath school, Greg was asking about something in the end of time, right? What, what's going to happen? Well, what God's waiting for is that people have a renewed mind, isn't he? Uh, what he's waiting for is the gospel to go to the whole world. But before that can happen, there has to be a people who perfectly what? Reflected the image of Jesus. And the only way to do that is to have a renewed, a renewed mind. It's the only way it can happen. So we do need to talk about these laws that govern the mind. And Romans 12, verse 2, be not conformed to this world, which is easy to do, right? But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. And for us to really know God's will for our life, we need that renewed mind, right? If we don't have a plan to have the mind renewed, we will have our mind conformed to the world. It's going to be one or the other, right? There's no middle ground here. We're very familiar with this, and we're going to talk more as we go through this sermon. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Is that possible? Can you have Christ's thoughts? If you see someone, could you look at that person just like Jesus? It is possible, but it would take training and education, wouldn't it? It doesn't just happen. You have to want this, and you have to work towards it, right? And that's not works, it's effort. Having an effort to have the mind of Christ. But to have his mind means I'd have to have his thoughts. I'd have to have his thoughts. Okay? Now, notice this. This is from 9 Testimony, page 88. The professed follower of Christ must not be led by the dictates of his own will. How easy is that? Oh, man, that's super easy. But... His mind must be trained to think Christ's thoughts and enlightened to comprehend the will and way of God. Such a believer will be a follower of Christ's method of work. Here's the thing. If I don't purposely train my mind to have the thoughts of Christ, I will simply be following the dictates of my own will. Isn't that right? Because that would just be natural. I really do need to have a goal to have my mind trained to think like Christ. That takes effort, takes a plan. He, Christ, died for me that I might be blessed and that his joy might remain in me. Therefore, I keep my mind in that channel. I educate it, I train it, I train my tongue, I train my thoughts. I train all there is of me that I may fasten it upon Jesus Christ. Does every day provide training for your mind and your tongue? All we have to do is listen to how we think, so to speak. Listen to what we're saying. And if I say something that isn't quite right, ah, I got a little more training to do. Right? It reveals something. Is it good to have something revealed? 
Yeah, because now you can go back and correct it, yes. right? You can find Bible promises and things that correct that kind of thinking or that kind of speaking. But training, educating the mind, the tongue, becomes necessary. Because I think the reason we're still here isn't because we don't have the right doctrines. We haven't done enough training of the mind. Okay? And probably training in work. We, it really, we probably need someone to come in and do, teach us medical missionary training. Because it's going to be one of the last works. Okay? Two vital reasons for having the mind of Christ. First, our thinking plays a major role in determining our eternal destiny, right? Our ticket to heaven is Christ dying for us. Everybody who goes to heaven is going to say, I am here because Jesus died for me. But there's a fitness for heaven. There's a lot of people who believe that Christ has died for them, but haven't trained their thoughts to think as Christ thinks and still think quite contrary to the way Christ thinks and wouldn't actually enjoy heaven. Do you believe that? There is a sanctification, a sanctification of the mind, the thoughts that have to take place once we've accepted Christ. There's a fitness for heaven, but there is a ticket. It's all, and it's all found in Christ. Now, the second is that Satan is out to destroy me physically, mentally, spiritually. Because if I do not choose to train my thoughts to be like Christ, how easy will it be for Satan to divert my thinking? Very easy. If I just allow myself to go by the dictates of my own will, Satan, it's so easy. This isn't even hard for him to sway us in the wrong direction. The only safe place to be is to have your mind daily trained to think as Christ thinks. It's the only safe ground to be. Because it's a principle. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And everything begins with a thought, and those thoughts, you think enough about it, becomes an action. And all of you keep repeating those actions, it forms habits, and habits form, and that's who you are. As a man thinketh in his heart, you keep thinking a certain way, you act a certain way, and those become your habits. It's just simply who you are. Amen. Now, the harvest of life is what? Is character. That, that's the important thing, you know. Um, and it is this that determines destiny, both for this life and for the life to come. Amen. Do I believe it's important to hand out literature? Yes. But you're not going to get out, go to heaven because you handed out a thousand pieces of literature. You're going to be in heaven whether your character is ready or not, right? Now, the thief on the cross only lived another couple days after he accepted Christ. It's the direction you're going. He was in the process of developing a character. He only got to live a little longer, but God could look at his heart and say, you know, if he came down from the cross, lived another 30 years, he'd be this far in his Christian experience. And so God's just looking in the heart to see if there's any more rebellion in the heart, right? He's looking at characters, a person going down in the right direction, right? Now, character building is the what? It actually is the most important work ever entrusted to human beings. And never before was its diligent study so important as now. Because right now, if there was ever a time in human history where it's hard to form a character, it's now. Because you have that much more influences of evil upon you because of television, because of radio, because of, well, our phones. You can't get away from bad stuff. But you can still keep your mind focused on Christ, right? You still have that choice. It's not like you can't, you know, protect yourself from this, but it is around us, isn't it? And this is where we got to protect our homes, The home life has to be a place where people have the opportunity to develop the character of Christ. Okay? It will be the most important work. Now, it is by learning the habits of Christ, his meekness, his lowliness, that self becomes transformed. By taking Christ's yoke upon you and then submitting 
to his learning. So let's just think a little bit about that. When you're reading the life of Christ, what are you looking for? His habits. As you read, you find a certain theme. When he meets people, what does he do? He mingles with them, doesn't he? He talks to them. Whether it's the woman at the well, whether it's Nicodemus at night, it doesn't really matter, does it? He never passed by anybody as worthless. He kept mingling, and he would talk with them. Even if it started about wanting a glass of water, it would eventually lead to a spiritual topic. Right? That's his habit. Now, so if my habit is just to talk about earthly things and it never gets past earthly things, that's not the habit of Christ. Christ wants us to think differently. He wants us to help people to think more seriously, more soberly in these last days, right? That when we get an opportunity, we tend things more towards the spiritual. You may not start there, but you want to end there. That's a habit. That's a good habit to have. That's an everlasting habit. What other kind of habits did Jesus have? How did he begin his day? What do we find? Prayer. He consecrates himself. The first thing in the morning, he consecrates himself every day. And it's not my will that's being done, it's whose? It's the Father. He knows the Father's will. That's his habit, is knowing the Father's will. Not my will. It's easy. I already know what my will is. The issue is, do I know God's will? And am I willing to submit? That's a habit. Do I submit myself to God's will? These are the habits we need to form. Does that make sense? And when Jesus was tempted, he always referred to the Father and Scripture. That's a habit. When I'm tempted with a, a wrong thought, what do I do? What's my habit? Yeah, it needs to be go to the Father, focus on the power of God's Word, but to see if my habit is to try to deal with it myself or even continue to entertain the thought, that's a wrong habit. That's a bad habit. And we have to overcome those bad habits because, you remember, with your thoughts, you're developing character. And character determines destiny. And so when we're looking for in the life of Christ, we're looking at all these different things, his habits, the way he talked with people, what he would say, the things he would do, Right? We find part of Jesus' habit is he's going around healing all the sick. He doesn't pass by anybody. That's a habit. When he looked at people, he looked at what they could become, not just what they were. That was a habit. He inspired people with hope. That's a habit. These would be nice habits to have, wouldn't it? We need these habits. And so when we study the life of Christ, we just got to sit down Take a little more time and say, what does this teach me about the habitual life of Jesus? Because that's what I need. Because that's going to form my thinking, my outlook, my perceptions. Now, we talked about we want to become like Jesus, but we know we've, we've got an, an, an enemy out there. Because it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil... As a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. How does Satan spend his time? What do you think he's doing right now? Right now, what do you think Satan's doing? He's studying people. What do you think a third of those angels he took with him are doing? They're watching. What are they looking for? All your weaknesses. Think they're writing them down? Who else needs to know about your weaknesses? We do. And anytime you have a weakness, you need to find a Bible verse for that weakness. If I have impatience, I need to find Bible verses about patience because my response to temptations to be impatient has to be through the Word. Okay? It's okay. We just want to know where we're at. We find out where we're at because the problem with being Laodicea is we think we're better off than we are. It's better to see yourself worse than you are, probably, and then seek God's help. Okay? Because it doesn't matter where you start. It's where you're going. But if you think you're up here and you're down here, then we're not going to live by faith. The thing is, we need to know where we're at 
to know what kind of habits to form to which direction we're going, right? To find the help we need today, okay? The help we need today. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So if someone says to me something that's not really kind, who's really behind all that? Satan ultimately is. And we're going to see a statement up here that Satan actually can suggest things to people, right? Suggests thoughts, feelings, right? And it all comes across, because you remember what? He's walking around like a roaring lion doing what? He's not just watching, he's suggesting things all the time to people. To do what? Do things that make other people stumble. Isn't that right? He's not just watching us, he's suggesting things to us. And so in reality, we're not really fighting with other people. It's the darkness behind all this. And we need to realize that this is exactly why you have to have the mind of Christ. Because it's only that mind that can defeat or overcome the darkness that's behind everything that happens in the world. Okay? However, however craftily the plots of Satan and his agents may be laid, God can detect them and bring to naught all their counsels. The response of faith today will be the response made by Nehemiah. Our God shall fight for us, for God is in the work, and no man, no man can prevent its ultimate success. What was Nehemiah's work? What was he doing? Rebuilding the wall, rebuilding Jerusalem, because it had been destroyed by the Babylonians. And God wanted to make sure the Jewish people had a, a sanctuary again, a temple before who showed up? Before Jesus. They needed to have that sacrificial system again so they could see these little lambs still being offered and John the Baptist say, here's the Lamb of God. And the Samaritans mostly, not that there weren't other people, were really hindering the work. Making it very, very difficult. But Nehemiah knew the darkness behind all this. And he says, you know, if I submit myself to God... Who's going to fight for me? God's going to fight for me. And by allowing God to fight for you, you will gain victory because I guarantee you right now, the devil's got a plot against everybody in this room. And if God doesn't fight for you, you will fail. Because there's not a human being who has enough skills or enough strength or enough power to overcome the, all the plots Satan has for you. The only one who can rescue you is a God who already knew his plots before he had the plots. Can detect every one of them. We need God on our side. God has to fight for us or we lose. There's no chance of us doing this by human strength. Bear in mind that it is none but God that can hold an argument with Satan. The sentiments of the enemy are to be met with a plain, thus saith the Lord. Human infirmity will not be able to resist the devil. That's one of the things we just simply have to accept. By myself, I can try to be the best Seventh-day Adventist I can, but I will fail if God's not for me. And God is for me. It's just a matter of me allowing God to be for me. Do I allow God to give me the victory, or do I try to do it myself? You see? Because only God can hold an argument with Lucifer. You know, he was the greatest of created beings. Imagine what kind of mind he has. But it's nothing compared to God's mind. But we're not anything compared to what Lucifer was. We're very finite. I mean, look at us. I mean, really. How are we going to stand up against someone who took a third of the angels plotting against us. Okay? But God already knows his plans. God can... But what we need to know is what this says. The Bible. You see, in the end of time, there's going to be all kinds of false doctrines. I mean, way worse than today. The only way not to be deceived, not to be taken in, is to 
know exactly what the Bible says. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus, right? We need to know these verses and know who we are as not to be deceived. But then in our own individual lives, we need to have Bible verses to face the temptations that come every day. And we'll get more into that here. Whose mind is the only mind that has successfully overcome Satan's temptations? So if I were to say, we need the mind of Christ, all I have to do is ask this one question. Is there any mind that was successful against all of Satan's temptations? It was the mind of Christ. Therefore, the mind I need is... That's a pretty simple formula, isn't it? There is no other mind that has overcome the temptations of Satan. There's just one mind. And this is exactly why we have to have the mind of Christ. We have to train ourselves. We have to be educated to think just like Jesus thinks. We've got to be going in that right direction. Jesus met Satan with the words of Scripture, it is written. In how many? Every temptation, the weapons of his warfare was the Word of God. So let's just say you're being tempted and you can't think of a verse. What are you going to do? You're just going to pray. Is that just as good enough for God at the time? But once you prayed and you know where Satan's tempting you, what are you going to do now? Now you're going to find a verse that you can remember next time you're tempted the same way, right? God knows our frailty. He knows where we are. We need to turn to God, submit ourselves to God, okay? All right. Why was Jesus able to respond to every temptation with the word? How could he do that? Because he knew the word. He allowed the word to be hid in his what? In his heart. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Is that different than memorizing words on a page? (laughs) Boy, you're quick on that. (laughs) I can memorize words on a page, but that doesn't mean I put it in my heart. Jesus put the word in his heart because he loved his Father. He loved truth. You know, Hebrews 1.9 says that he had received more of the, uh, the oil of gladness than anybody else and his fellows because he loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. He loved what's right. And he hated what was wrong. But he never hated people. And now we've got to separate that. We can hate sin. We hate what sin does to people, but you can't hate the person himself. But he loved righteousness. He loved what righteousness does for people. He saw people's lives changed by embracing righteousness and forsaking iniquity, right? And isn't that the work of the Holy Spirit? Is to seal us, to seal righteousness in, and to seal iniquity out. So the iniquity doesn't come in, and the righteousness never leaves. Right? So every day, if I'm going to train my mind, right? If I'm going to educate my mind, every day I should be studying the Word. How often? When are you going to do that? All the time. Okay, I know you got to work. Okay, in the morning, but it has to be your personal plan. There's not cookie cutter for everybody. But if you want the mind of Christ, and it's the only mind that successfully battled against Satan, you have to have a plan. When will you do this? Where will you do it? Will it be in your living room? Will it be somewhere else? How long you get to study? Where are you going to start studying? What book? Gospel of John? Desire of it? What are you going to do? That's a plan. But if you leave here today and say, I desire to have the mind of Jesus, and you just keep it right there, with no plan, what's probably going to happen? 
Probably nothing. You have to, we all have to go back to school. This is all about eternity here. Training the mind, educating the mind to think the thoughts of Christ. What were his habits? Okay. What did the devil do when he could only get a Bible text from Jesus? He tempts Jesus, Jesus quotes a verse. Tempts him again, gives a Bible verse. Every time he tempted Jesus, Jesus would give a Bible text. So what did the devil do? He left. He left. He left as a defeated foe. Have you ever read that? In De- it's not in Desire of Ages, I think. It could be. But anyway, Sister White wrote that when Satan left after tempting Jesus in the wilderness, he knew he'd already lost. And there's still three years left in Jesus' ministry. He knew he'd already he knew he wasn't getting Jesus to sin at that point. Why? He never ever met a human being who responded with scripture every time he was tempted. No one else had ever done that. I mean, think of Eve here, right? She's being tempted in the garden, and what is she doing? She's entering a conversation with the enemy. Right or wrong? She needed scripture. She needed God's word. If she'd responded with God's word and left, she's fine. You can't reason with Lucifer. Because he beguiled her, which means that he tricked her. He'd say this, he'd say this, he'd say something else, and none of it quite all added up, and it caused some confusion and doubts, and she's thinking, hmm, wait, wait, wait. And all of a sudden, she's plucking the fruit from the tree. You ever been in a situation like that? It's kind of like, mm, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, I don't know. Confusion. We can't be confused. We simply need to know what's truth. We have the Bible, we have the spirit of prophecy to know simply what's truth, that we're not confused when Satan tempts us with this or this or that and wonder, is this good for me or bad for me? We don't need confusion. He can't, he can't deceive us that way if we're studying. If we're studying. And we're not going to know everything when we first study. We're only beginning. But God will lead us, right? He'll lead us. So it says in Luke 4.13, And when the devil had ended all the temptation, he departed from him for a season. Now, the devil is going to come back. He didn't give up the old battle, but he's coming back. So here's what we need to do. It says in James 4, 7, this is a very important principle. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The reason you submit to God is so that God will... He'll fight your battle. You remember, Satan, or God's the only one who knows Satan's devices against you. He's the only one who can hold an argument with Lucifer. So if I'm tempted, the only logical thing for me to do is to submit myself unto God who alone can defeat the devices of Lucifer. Does that make sense? If I submit myself to God and have him fight my battles for me, doesn't mean I don't have a part to play, but if I got God on my side, then I'm going to be successful. Does that make sense? But to submit is to submit to the thinking of Jesus as well, right? We've got to submit. But every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed, that when lust hath conceived, it bring forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bring forth death. It's not a sin that the thought comes to mind. It's when we give birth to it. It's when we continue. Now, I think when I first started here, I asked you a question about whether you're a two-second Christian or a 20-second Christian. You remember that? Oh, good, so I can say it again. (laughs) How many two-second Christians are here? Can I see your hand? 20-second. Anybody... 
This is a trick question. Well, somebody asked me, and I wasn't as safe as you. I said, 20 seconds. I hope I'm at least a 20-second Christian. (laughs) Boy, I was confident. He said, oh, no, Jeff. When an evil thought comes to mind, do you think about it two seconds or 20 seconds? And I thought I wanted to be at least a 20-second Christian, right? (laughs) Boy, did I get that one wrong. You see, the sin isn't that it comes to mind. It's what you do with it. Now, the possibility of having evil thoughts, well, they're there because we've had them. They're actually recorded in our brain. And the devil's trying to um, trigger them again, right? And they may get triggered and that evil thought comes back to mind. And just because it came to mind doesn't make it sin. But if I think about it, you know, and I keep thinking about it, what am I doing? I'm conceiving it. I'm giving birth to it. Instead of submitting to God. You see the difference? We need to submit to God. The sin isn't that it came to mind. It's what you do with it. And the power's in your hands. Power of choice, right? The will that Ron talked about. Notice these couple scary verses. And supper being ended, we're talking about the Lord's Supper, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Don't ask me how he does, but he can suggest things. And Lucifer didn't start that night with Judas to suggest things. He'd been suggesting things to Judas all along the way, And Judas, unfortunately, took some of these suggestions and gave birth to them. So that when that night came, he would betray Jesus Christ. That's pretty serious stuff, isn't it? This is why you can't let these things, you can't dwell on these things. Because they will bear fruit. And it may not be right away. But you see, the devil's got a plan. He has a plan why he's suggesting this thought. It may not bear fruit today, but he's thinking, if I can get you to think this and this and this and combine it with this and this, that somewhere down the line, he's going to get you right here. Acts 5, 3 and 4. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? While it remains, it was, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in thy own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thy heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. So at some point, Ananias put this land up for sale, and he made a vow. He was going to give it all to the work. But you know what the devil did? He suggested something to him. Oh, just keep back part of it. Don't fulfill that vow. No one else will know. Right? And when he had that thought, he should have what? submitted himself unto God and said, Father, I have this thought. Please take this from me and help me keep this vow. That's what he should have done. But he he kept thinking about the idea. Ah, hmm. Maybe we'll keep back. And eventually, when it came time when someone bought the land, you see, he'd already given birth to that thought. And those thoughts may have started months ago. What a tragic way to end his life. This is why there's no safe ground without purposely educating and training your mind to have the mind of Christ. This is serious. This is is what the whole message of righteous by faith is ultimately about. It's about your thoughts. There are thoughts and feelings suggested and aroused by Satan that annoy even the best of men. But if they are not cherished, if they are repulsed as hateful, the soul is not contaminated with guilt, and no other is defiled by its influence. So you're tempted with an evil thought, and what becomes important is say, Father, I I hate that thought. 
Because that thought is not like the way you think. Say, I hate that thought. I don't want that thought anymore. By your power, I want your thoughts. Am I more likely to not have that thought again? But if I don't do that and I begin to entertain that thought, I'm going to give birth to it. But what's important here is that we realize that Satan is able to suggest things and arouse things. And he knows that because he knows our history very well. I mean, those third of the angels he took aren't sitting around doing nothing. They're recording every weakness we have. They know what buttons to push. And we need to know what those buttons are so we can overcome them. It's not wrong. Hey, if I've got a thousand sins in my life, that's better than me believing I only have ten. Because if I only think I have ten and I have a thousand, that makes me a what? A Laodicean. Where I have these spiritual hallucinations that I'm more spiritual than I am. When in reality, I've got a thousand sins to overcome. It's better to know that. To every temptation, he presented the word of the Lord, it is written. Or it is written was his never failing weapon. We as the representatives of Christ are to meet every thrust of the enemy with the word of the living God. Notice what this says there. Satan can what? Never gain advantage of the child of God who relies on the word of God as his defense. When we all came to Christ, we all came to Christ with our own opinions and theories, right? But that's not power. They're just opinions and theories and ideas. What we need is the training of the mind to think more like the Bible is written, right? Learn those principles about life, about people. And this becomes our thinking. And we realize that living in this world is not about wealth. It's not about positions. It's about, it's about character. It's the only thing you're going to take with you. And it doesn't matter your life situation. You have a character. You have the character of Christ. And ultimately, that's all that God's waiting for. When God has enough people who have the right character, then he can entrust us with a ladder reign, and we can go home. We've always only been a few years away from the second coming since 1844, right? That's all he's waiting for. He's not waiting for more people to be in the world. He's not even waiting for us to have more printing presses and radio stations. He's waiting for character development. I have to have a people that I can entrust millions of people to in the end. Because if I bring them in, this is what they're going to see. And we have that character development where we think like Jesus, see people, treat people just like Jesus. And then this work will go like fire. There's no way we can devise how fast. We're not in control of how fast it goes. But we are in control every day of whether we're becoming more like Jesus. Right? That's ultimately what he's waiting for. Feelings are often deceiving. Emotions are no sure safeguard. For they are variable and subject to external circumstances. Many are deluded by relying on sensational impulses. The test is what? What are you doing for Christ? People are living their life about whether they feel like doing this or have an impression to do this or this or that. And the issue gets down to, well, you know what I need to do? I need to be doing something for Jesus. Because it's not only about what you think. It's about what you're doing with your time. You see, I can read my Bible, but if I don't do anything, it's going to affect my character. What becomes important is to mesh together constantly thinking about Jesus and how he thinks and going about doing the kinds of things Jesus did. And just start in your immediate sphere, your family, your friends, your co-workers, kind word, kind deed. We all need to be doing something to help somebody. We have to exercise our faith to make a difference in another person's life. 
because that's how faith will grow also. And you don't know what God will do? If you're willing to be on the front lines, God will he'll put you in contact with a, with a person where you'll have to exercise your faith to help them. You're going to walk through that door, you're going to help them. He says, here's a person. Time to help them. And don't walk away from those opportunities. And I'm talking about being burned out and trying to help everybody in Brooklyn, Ohio. You have a life that is structured, because structure has to do with character, right? A time for this and a time for that. We just have to find time to do something for people, okay? And God will lead. As soon as you open that door and say, God, I, I may only have so many abilities, but I know what you're looking for is my availability. I make myself available, and God will give us more abilities, okay? Two important ingredients. The first one we've been pretty much looking at, based on James 4, 7. We are to submit ourselves unto God, and God will fight for us. That's, that's one of the key thoughts of this sermon. I need to put myself on God's side so he can fight for me because I have, can't stand against Satan myself. But number two, we just got to take care of ourselves. Physically, mentally, spiritually. Because you can't separate these things, right? If you drink alcohol and this and that, well, it's going to affect your mental state and your spiritual state, right? Take care of yourself. Because if you take care of this brain, you'll be able to have thoughts like Christ. And we'll get into that here in a little bit as we kind of close up here. But let's look at this process of submission. The first thing that's going to happen is you're going to be tempted, right? So you're going to be tempted with something. And second, the Holy Spirit convinces me that I'm, I'm being tempted. Isn't that right? I mean, if a wrong thought comes to mind, God, the Holy Spirit, has impressed me. Jeff, that's a wrong thought. Is that a blessing to know? Because the Bible says the Holy Spirit will convince you of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. He has to. So when I'm having a wrong thought, the Holy Spirit says, I'm convincing you of sin. <laughs> That's not a right thought. That's not a right feeling. But he can also just as equally convince me of righteousness. This is the thing to do. This would be the right thing to do. Do this, Jeff. And judgment to come because I'm going to be judged on how I respond to these two things. Am I allowing him to convince me of sin and righteousness and obeying and following his lead? And if I put myself in the hands of the potter, he can make no mistake, right? Being guided by the Holy Spirit. But think of number three. When the Holy Spirit impresses you that a wrong thought's a wrong thought, can we just take a moment and say thank you? I want to thank you, Father that you impress me that this thought's no good for me and it's no good for anybody else. I just want to thank you for creating me with a conscience and that the Holy Spirit will speak to my conscience about what's right and what's wrong. Now, if I do step number three, am I likely to do step number four where I make the right decision not to want to do it anymore? You see, God, we could be praising God every day, not simply for the good things, but for even the temptations that come. I thank you, Father, that you revealed this to me before I did it. Okay? And so, four, is I have a decision to make. Do I turn to God and his word, or will I focus on the problem or the temptation? Because that's ultimately what we're going to do. You get this thought, you can either run with that thought, keep focusing on it, give birth to it, and it's going to be nothing but problems for you down the road. Or I can thank God and say, thank you for warning me before I did it. I praise you and I want to submit my will to your perfect will. And I base it on this scripture. And you've got victory. It works that simple, doesn't it? Got to make a choice. And fifth, do I, if I don't have a Bible text, I can, as Gregory said, I can pray, right? And God will honor that. 
So the process of submission. But also taking care of ourselves. We're getting close to the end here. Our first duty toward God is what? And our fellow man is what? Self-development. That doesn't mean go to the bookstore and get a you know, self-help book. It doesn't mean we're New Agers. It just means you've got to take care of yourself. God has laws that are physical, mental, and spiritual. And just take care of yourself. Okay? And the more you take care of yourself, the better decisions you're going to make in life. And it all forms character. Mental health. Do all that you can to have a healthy brain function. Now, there is a difference between the brain and the mind. Is that right? <laughs> Some are going like this. No, I don't know about that one. Seems like a little stretch. But the brain is an organ, like the heart. But your mind are your thoughts. It's your character. You can't fully separate them. I see them as two separate things, right or wrong. Two separate things. You have your thoughts, but you got a brain, but you want to take care of the brain. This is where you have your thoughts. So if you drink the wrong things, eat the wrong things, it's going to cloud your thinking, and you want to have the mind of Christ. If you continue the wrong, wrong kinds of thoughts, um, watching a lot of worldly stuff, right? It's going to affect the mind. I mean, all this affects the mind, physiologically even. We've got to take care of the mind, take care of the body. And so if we have healthy brain function physically, this will enhance your spiritual experience with God. It's going to enhance it. Everything, anything that's a benefit is a benefit. A healthy brain meshed with a spiritual experience enhances our mental perceptions. That means we're going to see things clear. We're going to have more spiritual perceptions because we're, we're taking care of ourselves and we're choosing to submit ourselves to the will of God and we're studying the habits of Jesus. How could that not change our perceptions and be healthier perceptions? And all the above helps us to respond correctly to all of life's conflicts and opportunities. That might be the last one. Yep. So... I wasn't quite finished with this thought, so I'm going to do this in the next one. I'm going to finish this topic right here um, and talk maybe a little bit more of specific laws that govern the mind. But when a wrong thought comes to mind, what are we going to do? Submit ourselves unto God because we know God's promises that he will, he will fight for us. And we know that only God is the one who can Defeat the devil. Okay? You know, everything is about being in God's corner and him becoming all in all to us. Okay? Before we have our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn, uh, which is number... Ninety-nine. And if we could all stand...
us pray. Father, teach us your ways. Help us in every circumstance, especially when we're tempted, to submit unto you. And as we sung the hymn, you will take care of us. Father, thank you for being so patient and long-suffering for the many, many times we didn't submit to you. And yet you still love us with an everlasting love. So, Father, thank you for your perfect ways and how you will fight these battles for us. So help us each to have our mind trained, educated, to have the thoughts of Christ. And this is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.